The world is changing. And what will the world look like for them 10 years from now? I think one of the changes we will see is that we will be much more intentional about community. I think what we are seeing right now is the beginning of the end of a lot of structures. We are losing faith in government. We are losing faith in big pharma. We are losing faith in the school system. We are losing faith in religions. We are losing faith in all big institutions. And it's my opinion that we will start to see more of a return to power on the local level, including local communities and digital communities. And so I think that training my children to be emotionally aware, to be kind, to think about others, to be plugged in at school, to be active in their friend groups, to think about others first, will be how we equip them to be active and plugged in to the local communities that I think will spring up. All right, my friend, and welcome back to another episode here on the Fit Father Project podcast. This is your host, Dr. Anthony Balduzzi, and I'm so grateful that you're here today and I get to share this amazing episode with you where you're about to hear a conversation between myself and one of our guest experts, Ryan Daniel Moran. Ryan is the founder of Capitalism.com. He's the host of the 1% podcast. Ryan is a father, a fitness addict, and he's a man who is super passionate about sports in Cleveland. He is an avid Cleveland Browns fan, and Ryan's life goal is actually to become the future owner of the Cleveland Guardians, the baseball team. So Ryan's an amazing guy, and I wanted to bring him on because I met Ryan at an entrepreneurial event maybe around five years ago. I was just blown away at the passion at which he speaks and the breadth of his experience, so I wanted to bring him on this podcast to talk about the important topics that many of us care about. We talk about fatherhood in this podcast. We talk about the future of raising kids in a digital age. We talk about some of Ryan's daily routines for his performance and how he's basically managing his life with his exercise and nutrition. And we also talk about bigger topics like what's going on right now with the idea of capitalism in today's day and age. How is this different than socialism? And and what are these forces and what does Ryan believe? I think it's a very interesting conversation. We cover a lot of stuff and I really encourage you to hang through this and listen all the way through to get to know Ryan better and to maybe see some of the thinking and his life experiences and how that tracks with yours. I know I got a lot of this conversation. So without further ado, let's get into this convo with Ryan Daniel Moran. All right, Ryan, welcome officially to the Fit Father Project podcast, my friend. It's the doctor with abs. I'm so excited to be seeing him again. How are you? Doing great. You know, it's funny because for those listening and watching, Ryan and I have not seen each other for several years, but we originally met at this entrepreneur summer camp that we were both speaking at. And you left such a major impression on me and in a very big way. A couple things you said that really shaped my thinking about business and life. And I've always just had the utmost respect for you as a strong intellect, as a leader, as a man with a lot of perspective. So that's why in this conversation today, I want to cover like a gamut of things. I want to talk about fatherhood with your family. And I want to talk about some of your philosophies around business. I want to talk about your book. I want to talk about the future. So everyone listening, like buckle up. Ryan can go deep on a lot of this stuff. So um, (laughs) yeah. (laughs) And he's great and very eloquent at speaking. So let's kick this off. I'd like to first talk about, let's let's get into the fatherhood family stuff first. When I met you, you had one kid. And then now you have two kids. Tell me about your family and tell me about what's that been like for you over the last couple of years, being a dad and managing the life and all of the stuff that comes along with that. I think we all know that when you become a father, 
it adds a level of complexity to everything. It's kind of like being an entrepreneur. It is the best things and the worst things all at the same time. And I'm not sure you can have one without the other. I'm not sure that you can have all of the good without all of those difficult times, which is why if you're an active dad, you deal with the crap, literally, and you deal with the frustration, you deal with the sleepless nights, and you deal with the confusion and the feelings of, am I even good at this? Like, no one taught me how to do this. This did not come with a manual. But you also, the more involved you are, the more joy and reward and pride there is, just like a business or just like our bodies. Like The more that we are involved, the more that we get the contrast of all that is good and all that is bad. So when I became a dad, not planned, in fact, planned not to, right? This baby wanted to be born, right? My my membership for people who are entrepreneurs is called the 1%. Let me tell you, doctor, I am the 1% in multiple categories. There's a reason why they're 99% effective, some of those things, right? Because yeah, yeah. people like me, they get through. So we plan not to. And when we found out that we were going to be parents, something in me shifted where it was no longer playtime. It was no longer... I was no longer a boy. I had to become a man. And when I found out that I was going to have a son as the second child, you know, you can kind of get by as a father to a daughter by just loving the crap out of her, right? Like you can mess up a lot of things. If you just love a little girl, you can like, you can be an okay dad, right? You can not teach them much. You cannot take them any places. But if you love the crap out of your little girl, you can be a pretty good dad. A boy is different. A boy is seeing who he will become. A boy is seeing who he is going to model. And when I found out that I was going to have a little boy, I went from this big hearted, you know, just want to love on my kids to, oh my goodness, I am going to have to change. I am going to have to take more responsibility. I am going to have to look at all of the things in my life that I do not want to pass on to my children which is a very difficult mirror to have held up to you. A very humbling experience to see your crap reflected back to you and see, oh, if you love this little boy, you do not want to reflect these things back to him and have that looked at in the mirror. And that that is when it becomes, all right, I can learn how to be a dad. Like I can figure this out. But the real answer to being an awesome dad is looking internally and seeing what in myself what in myself do I need to change? What triggers that these children are triggering in me do I want to address in me, not in my kids, because that's passing along trauma and damage. But what in me do I want to change? That is how you be a real leader as a dad. My son is two now. And I'm just now coming to the point where it's like, okay, I can be better at this. I can be better at the things I want to change and thus be a better father. It is not about the trips and the experiences, although those things are great. It is about who I am and I am modeling for my son while also loving the crap out of my daughter. That's what the fatherhood experience has been like for me. That's fun, man. I mean, it's a beautiful thing, the perspective that you shared that. And I mean, it's, it's as much as you're teaching them and modeling and creating the kind of structures and models for them. Like, I think it's so amazing that this life experience bakes in that reciprocal aspect to these exchanges that you're, you're getting their self-reflection in this. And if you don't mind me asking, are there any particular areas that you really got to work on with yourself? And if that's too personal, we can pass that. But like, what are some things that you looked at yourself and seeing your son that 
you know, you're like, I need to take this to the next level. And how'd you go about making those changes? Because I want to talk about that and then contrast it with maybe the more concrete stuff with like the health and fitness. Like with health and fitness, you can eat the right foods. You can get into the gym on a regular basis. But a lot of these other things are a little more internal shifts. So what kind of things were you shifting maybe on a specific or a vague level? And how did you start to shift those things? My deep, unending, vast selfishness. The selfishness of thinking about what I want, not what I like the things I want, the results I want, wanting other people to edify me for those results. And seeing seeing that in me when I don't get my way because my son throws a fit, I'm no better than him. I'm no better than the internal dialogue that I have when my son throws a temper tantrum is no, do it my way. I'm no better than him. I'm exactly like him. I am the same as him. I am throwing an internal temper tantrum. I have just learned to quiet it down, which is why men drink it away, which is why men eat it away, which is why men sleep around it away. Because, because that temper tantrum is happening in me. That's what I've had to address. And realizing if I can empty that crapper tank of those negative emotions that I have stored away, that's the only time that I can actually be myself and be a great dad. And boy, is that hard work. Boy, is that humbling. Boy, is that difficult. And it's also just seeing how you show up when you are tired and when things at home aren't going the way that you want. And man, am I an asshole. I am just the worst. And seeing what that means for me as a partner, what it means for me as a leader, I've had many conversations with my team members where I have apologized to them because I realize now that I was either acting selfishly, what I want out of the business, or I was acting out of stress from not being tired or taking care of myself, or I was people-pleasing. I was trying to smooth over the situation rather than being direct with them about what needed to happen in a loving and kind way and instead just responding internally and having resentment. That's what I was doing with my kids, but it was how I was showing up in all areas of my life. And just seeing that reflected in the most visceral way possible, being a parent when all of your buttons are pushed was the portal for me to explore how this was showing up in other areas of my life. And it starts as an awareness. And then when it becomes an awareness, you decide whether or not you're going to do something about it. If you decide to do something about it, man, does that suck. That is hard-ass work. And I am still going through that process. And it is humbling, and it is hard, and it's emotional. And on the other side of it, you show up as the fullest version of yourself. That's the beautiful thing about fatherhood is it gives you access for you to become something much more than you've ever been before. Mm -hmm. I have a a question and it's a curious question. Did you have a sense before you had kids that you perceived yourself as a selfish guy? Like, Was that a word that you would have been like, yeah, I feel like I'm a selfish guy or I feel self-centered? Was that something that was on your awareness beforehand, before having kids? I think I may have admitted for self-centered tendencies, but I think that I thought of myself as kind enough or self-aware enough or giving enough to not call myself selfish. Fair. 
that was a blind spot of mine. Mm-hmm. You only explore when you realize how much you want things to be different than they are. <laughs> yeah, then then it hits you in the face, right? That's right. That's right. Have you played around with any things like meditation and other practices of basically observing the activity of the mind? You know, I've done a lot of study and personal experience in this, and it seems like we have these patterns that bubble up that are triggered based off of situations. And then we observe like, holy crap, look at what's going on inside this like mental space and emotional space right now. What for you has been the process of starting to heal some of that? Heal or observe or release or whatever word you want to say there. As silly as it sounds learning to feel my feelings. And that means when I am angry, feeling my anger rather than suppressing my anger. When I am sad, feeling my sadness rather than distracting away the sadness. When I am fearful or anxious, sitting with that. Because as a mentor told me just recently, those feelings have been in me for a long time. I've just never felt them. And since I haven't felt them, I'm distracting them away. How do I distract them away? Food, porn, other women, what like drinking, like whatever, whatever, or all of them. And so, yeah, I, I meditate nearly every day, right? And I can get it to quiet the mind a little bit. I still get emotional triggers. It's those emotional triggers that drive me down rabbit holes where I just dig holes as distractions for myself. Whereas when I sit in the uncomfortable feeling, which sucks, especially as a man who logical, you want to fix things. You don't want to feel them and process them. You want to make it go away and fix it and protect the tribe. I just realized that my default reaction was to protect and defend from a place of fear, insecurity, anxiety, sadness, grief, and not getting my way. How effective does that make me as a dad or a leader? It makes me a shitty weak man. It makes me want to cover up my insecurities with more money or more status or more what have you. Coming to the realization of like, I'm being weak because I haven't addressed things that are going on beneath the surface or feelings I have not resolved. Oh man, that sucks because it violates everything that is in our primal brain to protect in the short term rather than become something, becoming a man worthy of protecting his family. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's powerful. And so you're feeling through all this stuff. And now I want to take this in a a plus direction on top of this. This is your experience right now as a dad and doing the best with your kids and your business. I'm curious about having young kids right now, what you see the future looking like for them in another 10, even 20 years. I mean, the world is changing so fast. And I was watching some of your YouTube videos before bringing you on, the most recent ones. And a lot of stuff you're talking about is like, things are changing. Old systems are breaking down. New things are coming up. There's obviously opportunity. There's obviously some fear and anxiety. But like, what does it look like raising kids in today's day and age with like the metaverse around the corner, (laughs) cryptocurrencies here and there, technology all over the place? Some of this clearly for our good, a lot of it clearly for our bad. Bad relative terms, but like there's harm to these things as well. Let's talk about that. People raising kids in today's day and age, what are some considerations that are important to you? And what are you thinking about? My parents did something extremely wise, which was to encourage wherever my pursuits led me. 
And that meant that like I was really into baseball and business. And so my parents, who were not into either of those things, encouraged those pursuits. I always remembered that. And I don't know if my daughter will be a metaverse farmer where she has NFT farmers who are you know, selling digital avocados. Like, I, I don't know if that's what she'll want, but if it's what she wants, then I will encourage those pursuits without judging the mechanism. I am slightly scared of technology right now because just like my parents were scared of the internet and social media, I don't want to be that. I don't want to be scared of technology, but I may choose not to use some of it. My children will make their own decisions and I will encourage them while trying to be mindful of the harms of some of those potential technologies. But as it stands right now, I will just encourage wherever they decide to pursue things. The world is changing. And what will the world look like for them 10 years from now? I think one of the changes we will see is that we will be much more intentional about community. I think what we are seeing right now is the beginning of the end of a lot of structures. We are losing faith in government. We are losing faith in big pharma. We are losing faith in the school system. We are losing faith in religions. We are losing faith in all big institutions. And it's my opinion that we will start to see more of a return to power on the local level, including local communities and digital communities. And so I think that training my children to be emotionally aware, to be kind, to think about others, to be plugged in at school, to be active in their friend groups, to think about others first, will be how we equip them to be active and plugged in to the local communities that I think will spring up. And we're already starting to see people retreating from cities and people looking for their tribe as a response to this feeling of disconnection that technology has created. And I think that my kids will grow up in a society that allows them to have other access points. Yeah. I think beautiful answer. I'm nodding my head this whole time. I I think and feel a lot of these same things. How are you hedging against, like, let's just say screen time or just the fact that some of these social medias are designed to prey on neurotransmitters in different types of ways. I know your kids are a little too young to be using Instagram right now, but like, are you thinking about any boundaries around those kinds of things or TBD as they go down the pipeline and see what shapes up? Yeah, we, we have limits on screen time or what type of screen time. My daughter, who's old enough to watch TV or play on an iPad, we put limits on the type of activities that she can have. For example, During the week, she can only watch PBS Kids. So she watches TV, it's only PBS Kids. On the weekends, she wants to watch a movie, she can watch a movie. But another thing that we just recently did in order to encourage less screen time was we moved out of a high-rise. We moved out of a high-rise because when they're in a high-rise, going outside requires at least one parent to go with them. And we noticed that this was becoming a problem. And, oh, Dr. Anthony... I love my high rise. (laughs) (laughs) I wanted to stay in the high rise. I love living downtown. But having a yard is an alternative to watching a movie and seeing a friend in the neighborhood and going to their house is an alternative to being on an iPad. And so we made the decision to move to 
suburbs with a yard and a community for this exact reason. Yeah. Because it gave another option for our kids, whereas they had a couple options. We could take them for a walk or to the park, which you know we'll do once a day. Uh, we could let them watch TV or they can play with their toys in their room. And when those three things are equal, mm, I don't know. I want them to go outside. <laughs> I want there to be a fourth option. Yeah, that totally makes sense. And I think it, my, I have a hunch too on top of this that parents are going to need to intentionally get their kids to spend more time outside. I think we learn more outside than we than we maybe even appreciate just in terms of play, in terms of what we learn from nature. There's probably aspects of our development in relation to just being outside that we don't even appreciate fully. And this is also where there's this huge rise of gaming, of the crypto space and now that's merging with gaming. Games are going to become an even bigger part of kids into the future, You know, I think regardless of gender. So creating those intentional structures seems very important. Okay. What about you? You know, you're in the middle of all of this considerations, running many businesses, moving out of your favorite high rise and into the suburbia. What are you doing to maintain your health as a guy who has a, a busy schedule? What are things that are like your non-negotiables and your routine and where are you kind of at with your personal health right now? I eat a lot of salads. You know, I've, I've found that where I am, where I'm at right now is I have to keep things really simple. Yep. You know, I, I I used to be able to have really complicated routines. And I, I do find the more at peace I am in my mind, the more complexity that I can handle. Meaning like if I feel really good emotionally, spiritually, mentally, I can actually do everything perfect and it's effortless. Yeah. For me. It, yeah. You know, I, I don't know why that is. <laughs> it's bandwidth. It's psychic bandwidth, man. I Must mean, it's be. like, yeah, it, it's bandwidth, right? And at this point, you have a lot of things you're moving around. So having the simplicity and stability of a cornerstone, I have a salad for lunch every day, yes. is is all that basically you nail it. And that's well an anchor for you, right? Well said. Yeah, like, yeah. I, I rebel with food. Yeah. I rebel by eating foods that are emotionally comforting for me. So if I feel really good physically, mentally, spiritually, I don't feel the need to cheat on food. But my safeguard is my default meal is a salad. You know, dinner and lunch. And I think you gave me the recipe for uh, for my salad, like lots of greens, olive oil, some hemp seeds, avocado, and a and a protein like salmon or tuna or that's or, a great uh, salad, yeah. Or grass fed beef, right? Yep. And I, I, that's kind of my mainstay, or 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 tuna, yeah. like a, like a seared tuna steak. Like that that is that's kind of my safeguard. Like that is mm. if I if I have a salad for lunch, I'm like. 80% on point, right? I'm yeah. more likely to go for a walk. I'm mm -hmm. more likely to, to skip breakfast. I'm more likely to do the things that keep me on track. Yeah. So our fit followers listening to this are going to be like, yeah, hundred percent. Like that sounds like a go-to lunch. It's like salads or an Ezekiel bread sandwich, but it's dialed in. It's an anchor in your routine. Are you fasting in the morning? What do you do in the morning when you're getting up? Are you rehydrating? Are you moving at all? What time are you waking up and what does your morning routine look like? Yeah, I'm, I'm typically up. I think today I was up at five 30, but my typical morning starts at about six. And the first thing I do is I run over and, and take my supplements, which look like fish oil, multivitamin. I take a BPC-157, which is a peptide for gut. I take DHHB, which is just magnolia bark. I have a thyroid condition, so I take a medication called methimazole, which is, which is for thyroid. 
And if like on a perfect morning, I would then immediately meditate and uh, maybe drink some greens in my water. And then I would probably have breakfast. If, if I'm having breakfast with my kids, I'm not fasting. I love being with my kids in the morning. And so I will often indulge with breakfast with my children. If I'm by myself, I'll fast till about 11 and then have my salad. And that's when I break the window. Okay. Nice. When are you moving your body? And what does your exercise kind of look like right now with what's going on in your life? Yeah. I mean, you know, in my perfect day, I, I've been on the Peloton for 45 minutes and I do a weight training session. Truth is, I, I usually get one of those things, right? And, and the rest is done with steps. And uh, I see a trainer once a week. So I, I lift weights regularly. I see a trainer once a week. And then I'm, I'm just trying to get a, a walk in or a quick ride on the Peloton. Yeah. Totally makes sense. And I think what, what, how you, even how you're talking about it is as elucidating as anything else. You, you feel like what I'm getting the sense of is you have certain boxes that you feel like kind of for ideal need to be checked. And in the back of your mind, you're like, when am I checking these boxes? And it's like, you're getting the salad in, you're getting at least one movement session in, you're getting a meditation, you're getting your morning supplements and medications. And then I imagine there's something around the evening. What does the evening routine look like for you? The wind down, whatever that looks like. Yeah. You know, you know, I, I'll tell you, this is where I struggle. And this is my greatest area of optimization right here. I I had... Uh, are you, do you know Stephen Cabral, Dr. Anthony? Okay, so, Dr. so Stephen Cabral told me on the phone once, he was like, Ryan, you know, the best thing you could possibly do is have some sort of evening routine to switch off your mind. He's like, even if that's pouring the glass of whiskey, like something to just shut off the brain at the end of the night and get you thinking about the next day. He was like, the glass of whiskey is very suboptimal, but it's better than not shutting off. And that that was interesting. That was an interesting shift for me of realizing there needs to be some sort of, of off switch. And I said that anecdotally, but I, I'm developing a supplement right now in one of my businesses called Off Switch, which is you throw it in your water, shake it up, and you drink it. It's supposed to relax you at the end of the night. It's not out, but we're, we're in development on it right now. And having some sort of routine, like, you know, as silly as it is, my brain is so active, I can't even sit and watch TV. But if I can get myself to sit down and watch Ted Lasso, it will actually wind me down and get me ready. And, and this is definitely not optimal. Like, let's watch a screen before we go to bed. Not optimal. But my brain will run rampant if I don't do something to wind down. Sometimes that is going for an evening walk. Sometimes that is just reading to my children and putting them to bed. But this is probably my greatest area of optimization right now. Nice. Yeah, I mean... Awareness is the first step, right? <laughs> Decision to change and consistent focused action. And I, I think a lot of guys listening to this can relate for sure too about feeling like the overactive mind needing some kind of habit or routine to shift. What I found personally has been good is morning and evening meditation. It's kind of like bookends, even just sitting down. Very helpful. I, I, I Now I have a cool meditation room next to my office, but when I didn't, I actually had a chair that I kept besides my bed like a meditation chair that I would sit down in that chair before I would go into bed. And that was very helpful for creating the structure around that. That's cool stuff. Okay. Let's talk about the world again. Like what's going on in like, in, in, as you see on the business side of things, I know we're banging. What's going on like, in the world? What's, what's going, going on? on? <laughs> I don't know, man. I'm trying to figure it out too. 
<laughs> with with health and fitness stuff, because you're you're in the industry, you're developing supplements, yeah. but you're also kind of seeing the kinds of things that are being pushed down the pipeline. We have in-home fitness equipment like the Pelotons or the Tonals that are incorporating some AI gamification. And now we also have pushes of different kinds of foods and supplements. Like, what do you think we're gonna see as like health consumers over the next next year, next couple years? Yeah. You know, I think one of the big ones is mobility. I think one of the things that we're going to wake up to is how inflexible we are because we're sitting all day. You're a good doctor. You're standing right now. I'm being bad and I'm sitting right now. But I have, you know, working with my trainer, realizing how balled up I was in my hips and hamstrings. I went to him and I was like, look, I'm too young to hurt as much as I do. And he did a couple assessments of me and he was like, you have no movement in your hips. None. And I was like, they're supposed to move. Right? <laughs> and, 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 and he's like, have you seen a twerk? Yeah. Uh, yes. Can you do that? No. no. Oh, your hips are supposed to move. Like they're supposed to have that range of motion. Right. I thought standing up straight meant moving my shoulders back. And standing up straight starts in the hips. It's, it's rotating those hips back so that you're, you're up straight. Had no idea. I had absolutely no idea because I had no, no movement in my hips. And that started a process of stretching and doing some gravity yoga and really working to open up my hamstrings and doing that, you know, on a consistent basis before every workout or first thing in the morning and slowly and then very quickly started to get that mobility. You know, my, my trainer used to have to have me do sumo deadlifts instead of regular deadlifts because I just have the range of motions. And taking the humble pill of realizing, oh, I don't even do deadlifts right. I thought that I could just move 400 pounds and my back would hurt for three days. And that's how it was supposed to be. I mean, you did it right. No, it turns out that that is a hamstring and a butt exercise more than a lower back exercise, doctor. So being humble enough to go, okay, like I got to start over here on my mobility and be like a noob again. I think that we are going to have a lot of that. And I'm projecting here because it's been my experience, right? But it's me seeing that I'm way ahead of the trend because all of my friends and employees are still hurting all the time because they're sitting so much. And I think we're going to have a big wake-up call or something like that. I think biohacking has become bigger and bigger. We're getting more custom data about what we have and eating for our types. You know, I, I discovered that I have an allele in my DNA, which says I shouldn't have as much saturated fat as a lot of people. So I probably shouldn't be putting MCT oil and butter in my coffee, which is sad because I really like that. But replacing saturated fats with polyunsaturated fats, like I think with some more custom medicine and mobility are going to be huge in the next one to two years. Yeah. And I want to comment on the mobility because I've actually been on a very similar journey. I mean, as a guy building these two digital businesses for like 15 years, I've been at a desk for like 15 years and, and I do this fitness stuff for a living. My body hurts too. In fact, before we even hopped on this call this year, I hired like a myofascial coach, like a specialist. And he just came out from Florida and he would have me on our little massage table and he was digging into my hamstrings because, you know, this is stuff, more mobility tools. And especially as we get older, you know, being in pain sucks. Like you can be in good health, like, metabolically speaking and still have adhesions, poor posture and stuff like this. So I'm a big fan, a big proponent. We're going to be bringing a lot more of that to fit father and fit mother next year for that reason. And I think nutrigenomics is such a cool field where we're going to be testing more and, and customizing, personalizing nutrition. Very, very powerful. I think that's spot on. 
So I want to wrap up with talking about your book. You are, you know, when I met you, you shook my hand, I shook your hand and you're like, hi, I'm Ryan. I own capitalism.com. And I thought like, is this guy kidding me? Like, you know, it's capitalism. I didn't believe you at first. I thought you were just like, you know, but you, but it turns out you actually do. And you have built up an amazing business and just movement of people like looking at, Hey, we can build businesses that really solve problems, change the world, get paid for it. And there's this amazing value cycle that can happen with capitalism. And I want to bring you on partly just to pick your brain and catch up, but also because you have this awesome book, 12 months to a million dollars, where you basically lay out a roadmap for people who have ideas, who want to start with like an audience and a customer base, build a product, learn how to like scale that and start to make sales. And and forgive me for interrupting, Anthony. I I want to add just a hair of context to that. The 12 months to 1 million plan started the day I found out I was going to become a dad. Really? Yes, because I was the typical like uncommittal entrepreneur in his 20s dicking around and having lots of side projects and doing it, like doing all kinds of things. And I did well. Like I, I was a six earner, six figure earner. But the day I found out that I was going to be a dad, something shifted in me and I started no longer thinking about six months from now. I started thinking about 18 years from now because I was suddenly responsible for another human being for at least the next 18 years. And I didn't know how the relationship with mom was going to was gonna turn out. I didn't know if we were going to have more kids. I, like, I didn't know any of that. I just knew that I was going to be committed to one thing for 18 years. And it was raising another human being. And that idea of, oh, I can now think long-term enough to be able to make decisions was the best thing that ever happened to my career. Because then I started making plans for who I wanted to become. And then it was, all right, what is the million-dollar plan? And I thought it would take three, four years because I never had a million-dollar business before. And it happened in less than 12 months. It was actually... 12 months from inception of idea, first thought of idea, to hitting a million-dollar run rate. And so the book, just for context, is within this idea of your dad, and it's time to take responsibility for everything, including finances and business. And then I laid out the roadmap for how we built the million-dollar business, which ultimately became a $10 million a year business. That's super cool, man. I mean, it's amazing that it's all wrapped in the, the the fact that you became a father. I didn't know that detail, but I think it makes it even more special to me to have this book and have this roadmap. And I also think you have a lot of perspective too, because this is not just like your business, but you've deployed this structure with your clients, with people in your coaching programs who I know have had a, a lot of success. In fact, I remember you, you said you had one client that made maybe a hundred million dollars and you're like, and, and, you know, so we have a member who just broke the record. He had a $610 million exit a few months ago. Yeah. So it's, it's powerful what you can do. Yeah. Full disclosure, I haven't checked his tax returns. You know, that was the report and I haven't made $610 million, right? I've never had my hundred million dollar thing. I've had my $10 million thing. You know, I haven't had my hundred million dollar thing, but our mission right now at capitalism.com is to create a million millionaires. A million millionaires would be $1 trillion worth of value, which would be the same economic impact as Bitcoin, but put into the hands of entrepreneurs who are building businesses that create change and impact for their customers and their clients and their families and the people that they impact. Totally. And I want to talk about the word capitalism too, because in my, in my experience, 
it can be a very positive word as a small business owner. Yet there's some people that have negative connotation around this. And I want to get into this because I, I, I maybe some people listen to this and they're triggered by this word capitalism. And certainly we have a culture right now that's pushing many different ways of thinking and trying to see how is America going to shape up in the future? Capitalism bad, capitalism good. But what I see as a small business owner is you're someone that's creating value and solving problems. And I love the fact that money gets to come into our business and we get to then redistribute that out, that we become like a node in this network of value creation through our own creativity and hard work. So it's beautiful for me. What kind of conversations and things have you had with people or or things that are said, or even you're thinking around the word capitalism, maybe some stigma around that and what your thoughts are in general about that stuff? Well, people tend to associate capitalism with selfishness. I associate it with service. Capitalism is the best system that we have to take care of one another. The best we have, the best that's ever come up with, I don't think we'll come up with a better one. Because it is the way that we voluntarily serve one another. It's the way that we voluntarily commune with one another and make sure that everyone's taken care of. And then on the private level, that is where charity fills the gaps. Not forced charity, not forced contributions, not forced anything. But it allows each person to specialize in where they contribute value and serve other people, and frees up resources for us to volunteer to fill the gaps. That's capitalism. Capitalism is voluntary service, and it prioritizes those who need it the most, and those to which are the fastest to distribute to everybody else. People say, whenever there's a new innovation, well, it's only for the rich because it's expensive. What other way do you expect it to get into the system? Anything that is new is expensive. Anything that is new has high labor and production costs. Of course, it's going to be the most expensive when it's new. There's a reason why every Tesla was $150,000 when it came out, when it was a new company. Because it was expensive to make. There were no economies of scale for someone to create an electric car before. And so they had to make it cool in order for people to buy it, which is expensive. And then they come down in price over time. That is how we create change. And it's the best system for us to create change. Yeah, I I see and hear what you're saying. And I'm also seeing right now that when we let a general just free market system go, we end up getting through just natural 80-20 laws, you get a Jeff Bezos. You get the accumulation of, of massive amounts of money up top because that's what happens when certain factors align or someone is disproportionately intelligent or skilled and is at the right time. Is our current system sustainable with the concentration of wealth? So maybe not capitalism is the problem, but is there an inequity blind that we're running up against where money is not distributed enough? And what are your thinking around this? Is it fine to have a couple billionaires that are building cities in tech and in, in tech cities and in, in buying countries and mining asteroids? I mean, this is kind of where we're going. And, and I have no judgment either way on this. I'm just curious to hear your thoughts. Yes, it's okay for them to build cities. No, we don't have an inequity problem. Yes, it's okay for people to have disproportionate amounts of wealth. Okay. Here's why. You take Jeff Bezos, for example. Jeff Bezos is worth approximately $150 billion at the time of this recording. The vast majority of that wealth is in Amazon stock. It's an Amazon stock that other people are trading the price for. They are investing in Amazon, which is driving up the value of his stock. The minute Jeff Bezos sells his stock, he owns somewhere between 10 and 15% of Amazon. If he sells, 
It actually might be less than that after the divorce. So don't, don't, you can fact check me on that one. So if he were to sell his stock, it would plummet the value of Amazon and that wealth would be destroyed on paper. But because it's valuable, it's valuable for a whole lot of people who hold it and they can borrow against it and they can deploy it into creating more value or buying homes or investing in businesses. So him holding on to his stock is creating the anchor point for the value for other people to vote on it with their dollars. So it is absolutely ethical for him to have that. It is the same with Elon Musk, the richest person in the world as of today. He holds 20% of Tesla, which he can now sell to provide liquidity to invest back into creating the change that Tesla is creating. The fact that we judge people based on the paper value of their stock that other people decided, other people decided if it was worth buying. He didn't decide that. He didn't say, going to be worth $200 billion now. He put it in the marketplace and other investors voted with their dollars, which drove up the price and allowed them to have the liquidity to be able to build electric cars, which all of us want. So it's not like we can say it's unethical for them to have all that much. We gave it to them. Not just not you and me, millions of people. We gave it to them. We said, you're doing good work. I'm going to buy your car. I'm going to buy your stock. Because we wanted it. We asked them for it. It's the marketplace at work. How can anyone say this is unethical unless you believe that there is a fixed pie? And by them having that on paper, you can't have it. Bullshit. Them having it is the example that you can have it too. But we're confused. We think that there's a fixed amount. We think there's only so much. Then why do we have an infinite amount more than we had even a hundred years ago. You think you could walk to Whole Foods a hundred years ago and get organic tomatoes? No, you and grandma were farming them in the backyard. So don't come at me and say people shouldn't have a lot of wealth unless you are farming and killing your own cows and building your own houses. And then I'll say, how valuable is your land? Yeah, I see what you're saying for sure. Now, I'm clearly not passionate about this, Doctor. No, I don't, exactly. It's my, and I want to make sure we get to these areas of passion you have. It's a joy and a privilege to watch you just go and, and to enjoy that. And <laughs> so what about your take on like um, media channels today? There's a big distrust with the media on all sides, whatever, whatever side your politics tend to fall. How does this play out into the future, in your opinion? Like, where do media outlets happen with mainstream media, with different types of media outlets? What does the landscape look like next few years on, on media? and how that relates to capitalism in general. Yeah, I really believe that if you want change, it starts with you. Mm. Right now, we're so tempted to project our own stuff onto the world. Like, the media companies lie to us, which means that you just believe lies. You're apt to believe lies. I, I think that the way that this will play out is that people, just like we are losing trust in government will lose trust in big media sources. I really hope we get to the point where I don't care so much about what has happening in DC. I care about what's happening in Bee Cave, Texas. You know, I care about what is happening in my community. 
I care about what's happening in my family. I'm amazed that people give more attention to what the president ate for breakfast or the words that he tripped over in his speech, but we don't give attention to the words that our children are saying to us. I find this fascinating that we're more concerned about that than what's happening on the local level. And I think that is evidence of us just consuming things in order to verify or validate what we already believe or feel. Sure. And that ain't going to work out. I think the way through that is for us to reconcile that within ourselves. If, if you are so upset about someone that you don't know did, or even the message that the media is saying, it starts with you. Yeah. Turn it off. The more that you speak out against the media corporations, the more energy you are feeding them. So just turn it off. I think that has to be where it starts. Stop feeding the machine and stop feeding your own machine. Yeah. Like you are the media. If a tree falls in the forest and there's no one there to hear it make a sound, did it still make a sound? No. No, there's no receiver. Of the vibration. So if the media says stupid things and there's no one there to listen, does it make a sound? No. They go away. You're the media. You're the receiver of the news. I wish the news would stop making sounds. Turn off the receiver. Yeah. That's where it starts, man. It is. It's, it's this process of conscious creation, right? Being conscious of where your energy and your attention is flowing, being conscious of, as themes that have been through this conversation, being conscious of that which is triggering you, the yes. place to look right there, because that's where it's like the big X marks the spot of like, what's actually going on here? Like lean into that, feel into that. Doesn't always have to be thought about it, explained, especially with a, like a male rational logic, just felt and experienced and kind of like released over time. Yes. And then we start to heal and then we get cleaner and then we can create from a better place. That's right. Yeah. And I, that a hundred percent resonates with my life experience. And I appreciate you for sharing all that, Ryan. Now, at the end of this, I think some people are going to be on here being like, this guy, he's my guy. Like, I want to, <laughs> I want to spend more time with this guy. I want to learn from this guy. I want to interact with this guy. Where can people go to, to learn more about your work, to get involved with what you're doing, to YouTube channels, books, like lay it all on us. Let's go there. My book is called 12 months to 1 million. This is for the entrepreneurial minded person who's never had their seven figure thing. This will fix that 12 months to 1 million. My podcast is called capitalism.com. It's easy to remember. <laughs> and my YouTube channel is my name, Ryan Daniel Moran. Those are the best places to find me. Yeah. And all fantastic. I'll say all Thank three. You. Absolutely Thank fantastic. You. I appreciate everything you're creating. Thank you for coming on and just sharing a gamut of different things. And maybe bring you on in a couple of years and we'll see what Esther's doing on her iPad <laughs> in the future. I'd love to. Thank you, doctor. It's great to see you. Thanks for being here, my friend. Thanks for listening to this week's episode of the Fit Father Project Podcast. If you love what you heard, please rate and review our podcast on Apple Podcasts. It really helps spread this show to more men who need this valuable info. To watch full video episodes of this podcast and other motivational videos to inspire your training and more, visit our Fit Father Project YouTube channel. It's free and everything's made for busy guys over 40 like you. 
Visit youtube.com forward slash fitfatherproject to get access to our entire video library. And finally, if you or someone in your life is interested in becoming a fit father or needs help losing weight, building muscle, and living healthier after age 40, then visit fitfatherproject.com where you can see our proven programs, supplement line for guys 40 plus, and free meal plan and workouts to get you started. This is Dr. Anthony Balduzzi signing off. I'll see you in the next episode. 